0: Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com fmlfpl. Okay, welcome to another FML FL Fireside Chat. I'm very happy to welcome on Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Rap. Neil, how are you?
1: I'm very, very good indeed, Alan. How are you doing?
0: I'm I'm doing great. Excited to have you on. Um, so before we get into <laughs> just you know football and Liverpool and all that stuff, I just wanted to know a bit more about you and about the Enfield Rap. I've been listening for about ten years, but I would imagine some of our listeners won't know what it is. So I'm curious: How did the Enfield Rap start? How did it grow into what it's become today? <laughs>
1: I mean, the Anfield Rap, it goes through um, a couple of quite significant changes. The first is that it, it, when it's instituted in 2011, the idea is that of Andy Heaton and Gareth Roberts, and they came up with this notion that there was a bit of a gap in the in the sort of nascent podcasting market around Liverpool, and mm. they came up with the Anfield Rap, but the key thing that they wanted to do was do it in person. So they um, arranged um, to get studio space in, um, in, uh, where was it again? It was a, it was, um, a studio, uh, Wood Street Studios. I can, I've, I've sort of forgotten the name of it a little bit for a second here, which is really, really poor form of me, because it was a great <laughs> studio. And Rich, who was the producer, was the absolute business, and, and sorted us out massively. And it was where a lot of, it was, basically it was where musicians recorded, but we recorded on a Monday morning, because you're not in a rock and roll band in order to get up at 10am on a Monday, in yeah. order to, to, to yeah. lay down your tracks, yeah. it's fair yeah. to say. So we, um, we, we started out of there. And we were doing about one a week, and then the went really, really well. And the website was terrific, and it was beautifully designed by Ian Maloney. Um, and we had loads of really good writing on there. And then from there, there was Radio City, uh, who were the radio station in mm-hmm. Liverpool, contacted us and said, "You know, do you want to come and do a radio show?" Then we were doing two shows a week. One or what? One uh, straight podcast. The other one was a radio show that then became a live radio show. And Live radio was the most exciting thing you can ever do with your life, yeah. You know, as far as I'm concerned. It is, it is, yeah. it is the greatest train set uh, you can be possibly offered. And mm-hmm. we had so much fun doing live radio, uh, me and John. And at the same time, we started a magazine, an online magazine that you, you still get now on iPads and things. But what was difficult with the online magazine, and everyone worked ever so hard on it, but it was the realisation that what people actually wanted from us, at least, but what I do think that people want in general from the football is they want it to be now, Mm. so the lead times of an online magazine made it really really difficult to talk about what was happening sort of game by game but on the other hand the podcast was going from and the radio show was going from strength to strength because it was talking about the, the, right. the match just gone and the match to come at the weekend so in about sort of 2015 we concluded that what we needed to do um having you know done a couple of really successful live shows we went to australia um But the magazine wasn't quite working for us. We concluded that what they wanted, the people, uh, and it's always best to sort of go where your audience is, is they wanted more podcasts. Right. We we set up as a subscription-based podcast, and we went from doing two a week to doing about 12 a week. And then slowly but surely, we've added video, and now we've got an app, and we do audio and video, and people can subscribe to both. We still do two free, and we still do free stuff on YouTube, um, Talking Reds and other bits and pieces, and we put our free show out on YouTube as well, so that's available for people. But ultimately, you know, the, the the product, the thing that sort of drives us into having a business, which is which has now got 14 employees, is that we we effectively, um, you know, people pay us seven or ten pounds a month for audio uh, or audio and video content and. And, you know, I'd like to think what we do is bespoke and designed for Liverpool supporters all over the world. We do some really good, broader Premier League yeah. offers as well, really good preview shows, like the Friday show is a show I'm really, really proud of, and talk to supporters of other clubs, and we have, we have that every single week. But predominantly, we do exist for Liverpool supporters, and I'd like to think that any Liverpool supporter anywhere in the world could find something in the Anfield wrap that we do from yeah. the heart of the city.
0: Well, and now it's it's not even just Liverpool anymore, like you said. I mean, the Friday show is our personal favorite footy podcast i mean it's it's like oh thank you yeah no i uh walsh the other guy on the podcast just did a what we call fireside chat with three of the promoted guys and we got we got the name of bradley hayden from past friday's oh, Bradley's amazing it's, love bradley and you know that we kind of like based it off of that show that structure of throwing three in at once and but the yeah the podcast says a, a lot about the city it's very involved with what's going on in the city with music with loads yeah. of other stuff there's I I can't even imagine how many podcasts you release a month at this point. It must be, you know, well over 50 or something like that.
1: It, no, it is. We're in excess of 50 a month on podcasts. And we're probably in excess of sort of 30 uh, around videos as well uh, across the course of yeah. a month. And it being sort of in and around and about the city is really, really important. What we, we don't have is the idea that you've got to be from Liverpool yeah. in order to love Liverpool. That's not what we're about at all. But what we, we want people to have uh, in terms of loving Liverpool Football Club is a feeling of where the city is and what the city's about at any given moment, and I think we, we we nail that. At least I hope we nail that. You know, we want people to. In many ways, my ideal Anfield rap listener is someone who, who who comes to the city from somewhere else four or five times a season and gets to listen to us in the gaps, and also yeah. when they're there. But gets to listen to us in the gaps because they can remember the noises, they can remember the sounds, of the pubs, they can remember all the bits and pieces of what we do. And we evoke something for them Uh, and that's what we want. We want people to see us as a little bit of Liverpool, both City and Club, that that they get to carry around with them. And I think that that sense of belonging is firstly, I think it's actually something that's sort of innate within the the, the way in which the the, the team and the club's evolved Mm -hmm. across the last sort of 10 years or so. But I think it's also something which I think Liverpool supporters want. The, the, there was a term that used to be used, and I'm glad it's now used less around English football. People used to refer to supporters from overseas as glory hunters. and um, People used to refer wow. to Liverpool supporters as glory hunters, which always seemed strange to me when we had not won a league title for 25 years. Like <laughs> yeah. from What these people were, though, I've always felt, was they were journey hunters, that mm. they wanted to feel as though they were part of something. And if the Anfield rap can help soundtrack that, that's something which... As far as I'm concerned, I sort of see it as a civic responsibility. You know, I I want people to come for the football and stay for the city, come for the football and stay for the jokes, come for the football and stay for the other football. And that's what we look to do. And hopefully, as I say, we nail it. And we're always looking to be better. We're always looking to improve. Uh, but what we're not about and what the city of Liverpool shouldn't be about is being exclusive you know this isn't right. about keeping people out and this isn't about you've got to have a scout accent to talk about this far from it yeah. it's about this idea that it belongs to everyone but there's a vibe to it and we want to put that vibe over as much as humanly possible
0: yeah and I think you guys do a great job Matt. I've been there a few times and it's never felt exclusive I've never felt like of oh, this no. dumb you know yank doesn't know what he's talking <laughs> about whatever you know um although we do get a bit of that from just the general english public for sure but let's 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 move on talk about liverpool football club that is so i i figure we just start with Kanate. he's the big signing um by all <laughs> accounts he's looking good he's a unit a lot of talent who pairs vvd this season do you think it's just Kanate straight in or or what goes on there
1: I think they'll start the season. I think that, I think he'll see the first three as their own unique challenge. Mm. Um, I think that that's what he does, uh, sort of year in year out. I think the way Klopp has has got on board with the calendar of English football is something that's actually quite underrated about him. I think the first year he came, he couldn't believe what the the, the run post-November international break until third round of the FA Cup was like Mm. in English football. And I think what he's started to do is to harness it and and harness his seasons around it. But as part of that, you end up with this weird little prologue to Premier League seasons that is the gap before the first international break. So I expect genuinely Liverpool for the first game away at Norwich and maybe even the second game at home to Burnley to be Canate and Matip at the heart of the defence. And then... There'll be a big decision to be made before the Chelsea game in right. terms of whether or not Van Dyke or Van Dyke and Gomez come back in. And I think how Matip and Canate do up to that point will be the will be the, the marker and then obviously how how Van Dijk and, and Gomez look in training for the manager will be in there as well. So right. I I don't think he'll I don't think I don't think he'll commit to the idea of there being one partner for Virgil. I think it'll move between three of them for a period of time it wouldn't surprise me as well if Virgil isn't quite as much of a mainstay as he's been right. in the past especially in the first half of the season I think that Liverpool will will look to break the season into little chunks Um and I suspect that the way in which there's the you know to sort of go through Liverpool's season the other complication in there as well is the likely AFCON mm. which only is only two league games in January uh, as it stands and I reckon Liverpool will be a, have a bit more variance in selection and a bit more variance in formation prior to AFCON than they will after it. And I think that the Liverpool team from sort of mid-February onwards will be bite down on the gum guard and run to the finish line. Mm. But before then, I expect to see appearances shared out a bit more and that goes at the heart of that defence as well. I think that the idea that Virgil will be doing consistently three games a week I just don't quite see it. It wouldn't surprise me, if, for instance, he, he gets a rest against the weakest Champions League team group. Right in the group. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me if he, you know, if Liverpool, have, if Liverpool have got a tough Champions League game, but they've got, you know, hypothetically speaking, uh, home against Watford the week before. It wouldn't surprise me if Virgil sits that one out. Right. Um, I think that that's what you might see a little bit more of. So, if, I mean, from a fantasy league point of view, but from all sorts of points of view, I think that. I, you know, there's there's arguments to obviously sort of get behind Van Dyke, And I think there's a couple of other things that Liverpool could do to, in order to to make that a good thing. But I don't think there's any either nailed on partner for Van Dyke, yeah. And I, I think Van Dyke will get about 80% of the games.
0: It's also just the fitness yeah. from our end is, is we're just speculating. Like we don't actually know the levels nope. that he's able to do. So, yeah, it, it's tough tough to project. And then I think a similar thing is in the midfield, right? There's probably there's the genie. Size gap, and then there's probably going to be lots of different faces playing all sorts of minutes and all sorts of positions. I'm just, I, I think Fabinho is for sure first for choice, and then I think outside of Fabinho, there's Thiago, there's Hendo, there's Naby Keita, there's yeah. a mix of guys, and I'm not really sure how that's going to shape up.
1: I think it, on that, I think it's interesting if you look back to Liverpool at eighteen nineteen. So basically, if Liverpool can play. If Liverpool make the final of the Champions League, then they play 51 games right. that are Premier League or Champions League games. Right. If you look back to 1819, 19 uh, Wijnaldum makes 43 starts uh, in those games. Uh, I think within that, um, then down at 29, 30, a Milner, Henderson and Fabinho, I think Liverpool ultimately have signed Ronaldo's replacement and I think that it's something that's just been a little bit sort of overlooked and it's, it's Thiago Alcantara. Mm. Just did it a year earlier. And I think that, you know, Liverpool ultimately that season, he gets circa sort of 100 games um, right. out of Fabinho, Winaldum, and Henderson. And I think that that's what they'll be looking for in this one. I think, for me, I think that you can group these sets of midfielders. I think Liverpool are very rare, Liverpool's strongest midfield will be Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson. Right. But there's every chance that if everything went swimmingly, you'd only see a play together eight or nine times over the course of the season. Certainly in the league.
0: Just save for the, the big ones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think I think you'll see two of Fabinho, Thiago, and Henderson. If they stay fit, right. most games. So you end up then in a situation where, you know, if you break it down, you end up with the idea of two two of those three will play and between the three of those, they'll get about 90 appearances. Right. And then you've got Oxlade-Chamberlain, Keiter and Jones, who I think will split about 60 appearances Right. Uh, in, in the heart of the midfield. Oxlade-Chamberlain might, may, may go and get to play elsewhere, perhaps. Yep. Um, and then Milner, I think you're looking at, get sort of four or five starts, but is often used as first sub. That's how I see it going. And in yeah. eighteen ninety, and Fabinho and Alderman and Henderson got hundred starts and Milner Keiter and Lolana, as it was then, got fifty-five starts. Right. And so I think sort of that's, the same
0: distribution. You and
1: think. and and I don't think Liverpool will be, be too eager to change that. Now they might not always play for four, three, three either, you know, they might play some four, two, three, one. But I think they'll always want Certainly for you know games, uh, all away games and home games against the top twelve or so, I think they will always want two of Fabinho, Henderson and, and Thiago ideally on mm. the pitch, and I think that's what the aim will be. Uh, but within that as well, there's still an argument to buy a new midfield. And the one thing I would say is I don't think, and I've been thinking a lot about this. I've just been away and contemplating sort of Liverpool's squad and, and how it needs to be built. For me. When we were first linked to Saul Niguez, I thought this guy would be perfect. He's a win now sort of player. Mm. But you end up ultimately saying if you brought Saul Niguez in and Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago actually have a relatively injury-free season... I don't know where the appearances come from. Mm. And you wouldn't want to play three of Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago and Sal Niguez every single no. game because arguably it's a bit too defensive. Mm. So I think I think Liverpool should be looking for sort of a 22-year-old uh, to add because it's a bit of a gap in this Liverpool squad. They haven't got that many players full stop between the age of 22 and 25. Yeah. And I think that if they could find someone who was like a Diogo Jota, but in the middle of the park, that's Mm. exactly what they should be looking for. And then if that player ends up being absolutely brilliant and he demands to be played every week, then that's a win. But if not, you can relax. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point. Thiago, to me, is is such a bizarre player because he's so nice to watch and he's so good on the ball and his vision's unprecedented. Like, he passes... He passes off the TV screen more than any other player in Liverpool, you know, in the last, uh, since I've started watching, basically. But he, he'll also just, he's dirty. Like, he'll, yep. he'll leave a foot in. Like, I almost feel like if he was bigger, he would have been Busquets or something. And he's just, you know, has this sort of, i small, tricky guy thing about him.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for Liverpool, what's important is to get him 40 yards from goal. Mm. and I think that Liverpool need to get him 40 yards from goal on a regular basis and how they do that, listen, there's different ways to go about it but for me, you know, I think in there playing him next to Fabinho and you got to see it in the last 10 games it yeah. just got him further forward it yeah. just got him so that he wasn't firefighting behind him so much and it means that he's receiving the ball where he wants to receive it even if that, if at times that is a little bit deeper but Liverpool, I think if they can get him 40 yards from goal then that's that's where they'll see the best of him
0: Right, yeah, I agree with that um, let's move to Jota. You brought him up. So I'm curious what he kind of had the in, the big injury last season at the at the worst time. I mean, the whole club was injured, but I'm curious what you think his role is this season. Like how many how many starts do you think he has in him in the league and, and Champions League and where across the front three do you think he plays the majority of his minutes? I mean, we're we Mane had the nightmare season last season in terms of finishing and. Bobby maybe is on a bit of a decline or he just had two, you know, kind of off years. And it, Jota is just, I don't know, he's, he's waiting. He's ready. Yeah, I think I think,
1: I think he'll, he'll get used in lieu of Firmino um, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but I struggle to sort of, I think Liverpool are in a situation with Firmino where it, I would, I'm almost at the point where I'd be surprised if it wasn't his last season. Um, mm. And that's not as a negative. What I mean is I think Liverpool will be really eager that he goes out on a high. Not least because it'll also help them if they do actually want to want to sell him. Um right. You know, if, if if they can get get a lot out of him. And I also feel like Liverpool, they had a bit of a decision to make this summer with reference to how they attack. And I feel like... I think you either play the way Liverpool play because you have Roberto Firmino in your squad, or you change the way you play uh, because you're in a post-Firmino situation. Why? Mm. So I feel for Mina will be, arguably, maybe a little bit more involved than things currently feel. That might not be the case, as I said before, about this idea that Klopp will see these first three games as a very specific challenge. Yeah, and the, then he the might Bra- use actually Oxlade- Ch- Chamberlain and the Brazilians coming back late.
0: That's what I was going to say. The Brazilians just got back, I think, like two days ago or something. So,
1: so yeah, you might see that they're still, they're still sort of doing a lot of preparatory work and all of that, but. From then, I think I think people will see a little bit more from you know than, the, than they'd expect, and I think for the first sort of Klopp's got this challenge. I think for the first portion of the season, uh, and it, it runs into the, the the African Cup of Nations thing. And I also oh, I also expect Liverpool to look to upgrade Shakiri between now and when the window closes. I'm not sure who that is, right. but I think that's what they might look to do. And I think you will see Liverpool do a little bit more of four two three one. There was in the sort of diary of the Euros thing that Pep does. Uh, wrote for The Athletic. He he had this line that you, you you try. I think it was something about you try not to coach in the silence. And his point was, um, as he went on to explain it, when things are working, you don't change it. Mm. Liverpool under Klopp have been seen as a really 4-3-3 specific team. And from sort of the January of 2019 uh, in the 18-19 season, right the way through until they get confirmed as champions, they pretty much just play 4-3-3. Until the mm-hmm. pandemic comes, they just play 4-3-3 every single game. But the reason why, in, to an extent, is because it was winning every single game. Yeah. So you don't change what to win. Liverpool win twenty six out of the first twenty seven of the nineteen twenty season. In the eighteen nineteen season, they do some more around four two three one. Uh, in the run-up to Christmas. Um, so you, there's certain games, Shakiri gets a few starts, yeah. uh, other things happen, Origi get a couple of starts, and they do a bit more 4-2-3-1. Yep. And then it's only after sort of, we come back from Christmas. I think Liverpool will have more variance in how they attack. There'll be more games where all four of the players that you'd expect to be on the pitch will be on the pitch up until Christmas. And then I think the same will apply. They'll get to February, post the African Cup of Nations, and it'll be back to 4-3-3. But the other thing is, whoever they bring in, if they do replace Shakiri. Whatever they do in attack, they also will need to find a way to get that player minutes right. prior to the prior to Afcon, to then also be able to then rely Start. on whoever they bring in then. And I think that that's also something the manager's got to got to be aware of that he effectively loses. And it is only two games, but you know if 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 Liverpool and Manchester City are going to go at one hundred point pace, then two games counts you know absolutely hugely. They're yeah, only massive. Brentford and Crystal Palace. But I think that's what you're looking at. and I, So I do think that you'll see maybe a bit more variance. You might see some more of all four of those players on the pitch at the same time. You might see a fifth one added mm-hmm. uh, in lieu of Shaqiri and maybe Origi going. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see that. And maybe, the for me, the smart money, if you want to sort of imagine how Klopp will manage this squad, is to look back at his behaviours from 2018 more than look back at his behaviours from the start of the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. I think that's the smart money and that's what you'll see more of from this Liverpool side. That some games at Anfield, four attackers will start uh, and that there'll be a little bit more difference in the approach. And so uh, with Jota, therefore, listen, I think he looks looks like a remarkably good finisher. And I think in that instance, therefore, it really wouldn't surprise me to see him starting at Norwich. It wouldn't surprise me to see him starting against Burnley I think it might be quite different than for Chelsea where it may well be, listen, this is going to be 90 minutes of sheer hell against the European champions. Right. I'd rather have the option of bringing this lad on from 60. Right.
0: And it's it's a matter also for me of just... He's good at a lot of the attacking stuff. I'm not sure... You know he's not on Firmino's level with the the build up and the pressing, and you saw that against Real Madrid a bit. I thought last season. So
1: I think I think it's interesting because I, so I agree with you from the eye point of view, but Lin, yeah. from the and from the, the layman's eye point of view, but Linda's Lin calls him a pressing monster oh. all the time. Um, that's how he refers to him quite consistently. Yeah. So I think they see something in the way in which he goes about it, but I couldn't agree more with reference. Right. So that was sort a of Real Madrid game. I thought. He, you know, maybe he had bad information. But he, when he was pressing the center halves, he should have been on Casemiro. When he was on right. Casemiro, we should have been on the center halves. You know, uh, I thought Madrid were really clever with that carousel of the basically had Casemiro at times going higher and Modric and Cruz coming deeper, and so yeah. you, you know that it was it was intelligent stuff in that first leg from them. But ultimately you know, you would have expected a little bit more, and a little bit better from Liverpool in general, but also from the attackers in terms of getting a grip of that. And it it doesn't quite come off and it is noticeable that that Jota is there for that. and Maybe, just maybe, that means that what you might see in the bigger games this season, unless Jota is absolutely firing and scoring all sorts of goals, is it will be Liverpool's more traditional three. But then in other games, then you might see more rotation or you might see the four. Right.
0: Well, it's also with Klopp, I feel like, underrated Pep is the same way it takes i don't know 6 months before he really trusts a player if if things are going well and everyone's fit you know like i remember when we bought ox and fabinho and whatever you just don't even really see them starting games until like december or something like that so it yeah could just I, be I think time.
1: That, i think that that's the case i think i think also for both uh, klopp and, and guardiola that i guardiola tactically is i find is either sort of called in general a genius or he's criticized for game by game decisions that he makes. Klopp in general people rarely talk about a sort of tactical mastery because they do a lot of the work that they do is on the training ground. It's not game by game, it's not a, it's not a genius substitution. But what they're doing is they're laying down principles and education all right. the time to right. all of the players. And I think that both both of them are actually at times in that sort of sphere damned a little bit by faint praise. We, I think Hasenhutl has the same thing at Southampton you know you, you end up just simply being t- called a motivator uh, the flip side of that as well is that at times where Guardiola does get a lot of praise for his tactical mastery and his genius you miss the fact that he's able to put on the pitch a very highly motivated Manchester City side. Right. he doesn't get and get praised for that it's as though we've decided all these managers can only have one thing <laughs> right. whereas the truth of the matter is that most of them have all the skills in their armory and Klopp is is no different and if there's a game that for instance he feels needs four attackers or if there's a game where even if Jota is fit and firing and is the better option he'll make the big call because that's what he's been doing
0: yeah it's a good one I was just thinking about Burnley second match of the season thinking you better not put Virgil in there. You better not put Gomez in there with just the, the injury history. And just, no, but, but, but in that one, so for call. instance, yeah. that's
1: the core. But the flip side of that is if it was Burnley away, for instance, there'd be a really strong argument, even though we get to halt an awful injury there, to contemplate Gomez at right back. You know, Liverpool last season, one of the things that happen is in a couple of areas, they end up actually being a really rather small team. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you imagine a side that's got Canate, Van Dijk, Gomez at fullback, Fabinho at six, Henderson at eight, Um, you know, Firmino's not short, Uh, Salah's a unit these days, Mane's good in the air. You end up actually being a really rather physically imposing team, but Liverpool last season, they became a small team, Wijnaldum at six, not big enough, Thiago next to him, not quite dominant enough. You know, Fabinho at centre half, he'd be fine at six, but he's at centre half all of a sudden. Right. Reese Williams, uh, you know, an 18 year old kid in there. Even Kabak, who, who I was impressed by, you know, he's not enormous. Having the option to, for instance, be able to sit, you know, Liverpool concede the opening goal at Brighton because of a knockdown from a six foot seven left wing back in Dan Byrne. Liverpool, they need to be bigger and they need to be more imposing. And you know, they lost that because of the injuries last season. It's really important that that stays. And one of the things I'd be looking for from any next sort of couple of signings from Liverpool is I think that the next two players that they buy, they do need them to be physical, physically imposing. I think it's important that Liverpool keep that sort of physical dominance, which is one of the things they had running through sort of twenty eighteen through to twenty twenty. Was yeah. that any team Liverpool put on the pitch was a big team? Yeah.
0: Mm, that's a good one. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, Kanate, I think, you know, represents that big time. Um, talk to me about Mane. I mean, last season, like I said, just sort of everything went wrong. His finishing was all over the place. I mean, confidence seemed down in the dumps. Um, you know, everyone's just knocking on wood, hoping that he just bounces back to normal Mane levels. But I, I don't know. What, what, what do you think's the story with him last season?
1: There's the, 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 this really... Um there's this quote from around the twenty twenty, summer of 2020, 2019 into 2020, with Sadio Mane, where he says he doesn't believe in tiredness. He thinks that it's all uh, mind over matter. And Sadio Mane, by the time he makes that quote, has arguably been run ragged for three years. Yeah. And I think that whether or not Sadio Mane believed in tiredness, tiredness believed in him. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that you get to see that. And I think it's both a mental exhaustion as much as it's a physical one. Things just quite weren't quite working for him the way in which they had been previously. And I think he just couldn't almost get to the bottom of why. And if you're – and I think it must happen to all athletes at some point in their careers, there'll be points where you feel invincible. You know, coming through late teens, early 20s, you're invincible and for some athletes they'll be lucky enough to keep that sort of feeling of invincibility right the way through until their you know the early 30s but right. for others at different times the idea that you are actually mortal you know will occur to them and i think that effectively Sadio Mane suddenly got a little taste of mortality mm. as a positive he's had the longest break he's had since he signed for liverpool yeah. um this summer and so i think the idea of being able to recharge physically and mentally and i think the other part of that as well that idea of mentally recharging is we forget the pandemic in a sort of a social aspect? Sadio Mane was stuck in Liverpool, where he, you know, he's got a he's got a strong sort of community based around his mosque around him. But he lives alone. Yeah. Um, people were locked down. Things were closed. The idea of socialising of refreshing yourself in that sense was taken from him. Klopp talked to me in an interview about how it was weird, even a training, doors had to be open, players had to be separated, the new players hadn't been able to socialise with teammates. Yeah. And I I think that that genuinely will have had a knock-on effect, not just on Sadio Mane, but on a lot of footballers. I think we'll end up, when we read some autobiographies or get some interviews at the end of careers where there'll be some footballers who will feel as though they've well, and some footballers who will have hated every minute of it. And I think Sadio Mane will very much be in that latter category. So it may well be that last season was the start of a, an inevitable decline, but it's right. also very possible that last season was a unique set of circumstances in terms of the toll on his own body, the toll on his own mentality, and then the pandemic within that as well. And I think in general for this Liverpool side, I don't like the sort of... like. I don't like needless sort of mythology around football clubs or football teams, but Klopp going right the way back to West Brom when he took all the players to the crowd and got roundly criticised in some quarters has tried to really build a bond between the supporters and the team. And I think that there's still something in. This team did what no other Liverpool side's done for 30 years. It won the title Um, and it never got the party. It never got the bus. It never got to be acclaimed as champions. And I think there is a loss in that. And I think that that loss would be anyway felt keenly by Liverpool at home. Mm. But I think it was felt more keenly under these circumstances.
0: Great points. I mean, it'll be very interesting this season to see how everyone kicks on and how the crowds affect the teams. And if it's, you know, more drastic than other seasons. And if teams are more riled up and matches are more hectic, I think there's a lot of possibility for... You know, just There's, a the crazy, that. There's
1: also maybe the possibility yeah. that some players,
0: mm-hmm.
1: some of which might even play for Liverpool, but some who play for other teams found it easier to play the yeah. football oh, in the, in sure. the pandemic. You know, it might be that certain styles of places, the pandemic arrangement more. It might be that certain personality types don't like playing in front of the crowd. And that wouldn't be... You know, unique. We've gone through a lifetime of hearing that X, Y, o, Z is great in training and then right. never seeing him repeated on the field. You right. know, this is, it's very, very possible that there's a couple of perform, players who performed remarkably well last season who all of a sudden find it a little bit tougher. Um, there's some who might just have had a reset um, and are able to block things out, and there's others who may well really thrive with, crowd, with crowds being back. Right. The, there's a very stark possibility, and it's something that I think Liverpool will have to guard against, that some. Uh, teams and crowds might just be overly emotional mm. at times. That you know, you're trying to get through a football match, and everyone's bloods up for ninety minutes, home or away. You know, there's a chance that some might get too swept up in it in, in the early days. That's what and I'm I thinking. think thinking. Yeah, and I think it's I, th- I think that there's a lot of variance within that where we, we we still don't know entirely what the answer is, and I think that it'll take a bit of maturity uh, in a number of ways. But being able to ride a wave, I think, is a significant And from the Liverpool point of view. You know, the fixtures, whilst they're really tough for Liverpool around Christmas, and they really are, you know, I think it's um, Leeds, Leicester and Chelsea or or maybe Tottenham in there, but it's a really not a nice little Christmas run that Liverpool have got. Um, The flip side is, second home game in the league, Chelsea, fourth home game in the league, Manchester City. And if that's to full-on field, then that is, you know, these will be real occasions that will, you know... Anfield uh, for big games. anywhere, you know, five thirty kickoffs, four thirty kickoffs can really be a noisy, intimidating place. But you can double that or treble that and if Liverpool can just keep the points coming in on the road, you know, there's a there's a universe that isn't difficult to think of that seventh game of the season, Liverpool entertain Manchester City at Anfield and a Liverpool win puts them five points clear can you imagine what Anfield would be like the first Sunday of October, it will be like absolute fucking hell rains down on the heads of those City players and the ultimate magic carpet comes under the Liverpool players, and listen City are a great side, and they won at Anfield last season and they may well feel as though they can cope with that but we've seen in the past, no matter how how good certain sides are, when any crowd gets on top of you, when any crowd carries you it away, yeah. it's difficult to, to live with, and that one could be, you know, circle that one in your calendar with big red pen, it'll get moved to Sunday half four, they haven't done the telly yet, but it will get moved to Sunday at half four, first Sunday of October, and if Liverpool can really bring uh, the, the form going into that game, then as far as I'm concerned, that could be a really pivotal match in where the league ends up.
0: Love it. Let's let's talk a little bit about the other clubs. I mean, we don't have to just keep it on Liverpool here. So, Man City walked the league last season. No one yeah. really came close to them. Um,
1: no, but that's because Manchester United were cowards. And I think that that's just something which, you know, ultimately uh, United has sort of got away with last season uh, to an extent. The, they effectively decide in January they can't challenge City. Mm-hmm. And I think this is... It's a massive question, really, around my mindset. That for me is is still one that needs to be asked and answered uh, around Old Trafford, whether or not they've got the, whether or not they've got the determination to actually do this properly. Um, because City have, you know, for me there are, there's one known quantity in English football, and it's Manchester City. Yes, the they will get ninety points plus or minus eight points. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, that that'll be the that'll be the the runner points that they'll get, and you can say that with a level of certainty that you can't say for anyone else, including Liverpool I Haitian to add. But what that therefore means is who can challenge them mm. without needing them to markedly underperform. And for me, the only side you've got any evidence of that's capable of challenging City is Liverpool. Chelsea, European champions, but they only win a two points a game under Tuchel, mm. um, and there was a bit of evidence that the deadening approach to football matches was being tactically worked out towards the end of the the sort of the Premier League season. And they certainly don't perform when the pressure's on in that final league game, or for that matter, in the uh, FA Cup final. True. Then within that as well, United, as I said before, they've either got to decide that the series about winning trophies or not. And as I say last season to me, it was abject the way in which they decide that they can't be bothered trying to win the Premier League and instead just want to sort of shore up a top four position. Um, you know, I, 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 it makes no sense to me, but it's almost as though they decided that Manchester City were just too good, um, and the only team since Guardiola's hit his straps because uh, he's an incredible manager at Manchester City, the only team in English football that's gone toe to toe with Manchester City is Liverpool.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, people want to tell me that that might be different this season. That's absolutely fine. They can talk about Jaden Sancho. They can say that Chelsea might buy Lukaku or Haaland. You can go down these routes, but the proof of the puddings in the doing. And at this point, we still haven't seen it, um, and you know it would be thrilling, genuinely, to get a Premier League. Let's remember, this is entertainment in one sense. You know, it'd be thrilling to have a Premier League title challenge where there was four teams going at it. Right, I the can't way through. even
0: imagine at this point.
1: It, it just, but, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, and there's, there's a few reasons why it doesn't happen, and, and it's why the early games are important. What Manchester City have done every season, bar 1920, is there been a there's been a point in the season where City have put the hammer down and mm. have gone on an unbelievable run. And as I say, the only team to also do that while City have done it and match it, or in nineteen twenty surpass it is Liverpool. So, you know, there's understandable sort of disquiet that Liverpool haven't bought another couple of players. There's understandable feelings that with, with Sancho and Varane, Manchester United have strengthened. But there's no real proof they know how to win eleven league games on the bounce. Right. And Ultimately, the last four league titles, five, Conte's Chelsea do it as well, have been decided by teams going on a run where they win 10, 11, 12, 13 league games on the bounce. So until, you know, listen, I'll come back on and people can laugh at me in December if Chelsea and United have both managed to do that and City and Liverpool haven't. Right. But at this point, I'm saying that the only game in town is being able to say that City, you can have a level of certainty about, Liverpool arguably have the biggest variance, I'd say, in what you can expect, because how the injured players come back, whether or not Oxlade, Chamberlain and Keita are able to produce, if they do go and sign another couple and if they're a bit of a thing. If Firmino, for instance, goes back to his 17-18 goal scoring form... Everyone's a there's a few older, variables in also, there. I
0: think the age profile the age, in general. But, yeah. yeah, but I
1: think they're all still, with the exception of Milner, they're all still footballers who are around the peak. They're just coming yeah. towards the end of the peak. You yeah. know, it's, I'm more worried about Liverpool's age going into next season, and that's right, why I'd like right, to see right. them buy a couple of younger players now. I think Liverpool, you know, Fabinho, for instance, is moving into his peak years. Alisson's moving into his peak years. You know, there's 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 players in there who, who can produce and have shown that they can produce, and it's just whether or not we get to see it. And with a bit of luck, we do. But... If not, then you know there's a reason why Manchester City are odds on because they've shown they've got all the quality, and I don't really think it matters whether or not they sign Kane or Grealish. Manchester City will get around 90 points. They might do a little bit yeah. better. They might do a little bit worse. Yeah. And whether or not Kane and Grealish
0: make a difference to that is somewhat up in the air, right? Which is just scary and ridiculous, also. But I don't. Um, think,
1: but in the, at the same time, though, I don't, like for instance if Liverpool signed Grealish for 100 million let's just sort of uh, say that hypothetically I wouldn't go my god we're well more likely to win the league now I'd I'd feel as though we were broadly speaking as likely as we are now I I think that we get at times carried away with what one or two signings can do
0: yeah why is that I'm just trying to like reason that out in my head I think
1: there's very few signings that genuinely move the needle for football teams, um, and I think that you know ultimately you can only play eleven, and there'll still be strengths and weaknesses within that eleven, and there'll be strengths and weaknesses of approach. You know, there's there's there are signings that I think do have a profound impact on the way a team feels and the points it goes and gets. Van Dijk at Liverpool is a good yeah. example. Kante at both Leicester and Chelsea, I think, is a strong example. Diaz last when, season. Yeah, clearly sort of shifts Manchester City's mindset. Uh, I think that they, they can happen. But in the very top of the table, I think they're actually fewer and farther between than, than people think. And the other thing that happens as well at times is it can just take a player, as you said before, it doesn't just happen at Liverpool. It can take a player six months. Right. And by the time you get six months in, past the season's gone, a massive part of the season's gone. Right. Whereas, you know, it, what it could mean is, for instance, I think Timo Werner will have a really good season at Chelsea. I think Havertz will be excellent at Chelsea. I'm more worried about Havertz and Werner at Chelsea than I am about any hypothetical signing Chelsea might make. Because these players now, they know what's expected of them. They've had time right. with the manager. They've had a pre-season. And I expect that you get to see a little bit more from them. And I think that, you know, the idea is that Sancho may just hit the ground running with Manchester United. He may just pull it all out the bag and he may be absolutely unplayable for a se- for a period of time. But it's as likely that it just takes him a little bit of time to get used to his teammates, for them right. to get used to him, for everyone to settle down. And then before you know where you are, it's October and United are eight points off the pace.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think that's really fair. And I expected a huge season out of Timo and and Kai Havertz last season. I think it was a very unique set of circumstances for them. <laughs> yep. Um yeah, so what what are, what other teams like down further down the table, you know, West Ham had a big season, Spurs were up and down, Arsenal were a bit shaky, Leeds had a phenomenal season. What who do you like out of out of the going into this season?
1: I think there's there's still, uh, there's ultimately for me a really big Brighton question mm. um, <clears throat> to sort of have a, a talk about who could do what and yeah. all that sort of stuff. If Brighton could find a way to take what was the underlying numbers that they've had across these last couple of years, yep. then I think you, there's a fair few players at Brighton who I think could could really impress. But I don't know quite how they do that. Um, you know, they've they've bought the midfielder um, in. They haven't yeah. solved the what they're doing up front uh, question yet. Um, and that, to me, is the big one. Um, you know, there's. I don't think that they'll miss Ben White markedly. I think it's a really interesting sale. And I actually think it's one of those sales that will suit everybody. Mm. I think he'll, Arsenal have a really clear plan as to what they want from him. I don't think he was... I think he was useful for Brighton. And I think he was a really good player. But I don't think he was someone who they had to absolutely rely on. I agree. So I think you end up in a situation where if they could... Effectively, just work out who's scoring 16 league goals for them. Then I think they'd be in really, really good shape. I really love watching Villa, and I don't want them to let Grealish go for, in part for that reason. We're, I think they're great to watch.
0: We're together there,
1: Jack's yeah. my guy. Yeah, I just I feel I, like I I think it's in everyone's interests that Jack Grealish remains Aston Villa's best player. Um, hmm. I think he'd be far better. Being the biggest fish at Aston Villa than he would be, you know, moving on and having to compromise elsewhere. In terms of a wider sort of fantasy football thing, um I like the consistency of Chris Woods, mm. but it's worth trying to work out when you can get your Chris Woods sort of bonus in when he'll when he'll when he'll hit the ground hard. I have a yeah. feeling Burnley might struggle a little bit, to be honest with you. Um I'd be mildly concerned for them. Because I think I don't think we'll be seeing three go straight back down. I think Watford's Will come with a plan to get seventeenth. I think Brentford will come with a plan to do something.
0: I'm really not quite sure it's... what
1: that something is. Yeah. But they'll I think they'll have a they'll have a, a set of circumstances in mind. There I, I think that Burnley may well if they don't look to strengthen, I think this may well be the season where if you want to talk about sides being past the peak, there's an age there where I think they may it may just be one season too many. Right. And I think ultimately Well, I like the manager and I like a lot of the players. Southampton have a really, really poor second half of the season and I'd be mildly concerned for them as well. The ones I'm intrigued by sort of seeing is what happens with Wolves, Mm. Um, you know, in terms of him and his return, the new manager. Is there something there? Um, I think that they could do a little bit better than, than would be supposed um and there's there's a couple of other X factors in there as well. I think Crystal Palace and Everton are in different yeah. sort of halves of the table. Yeah. You don't quite know what you're going to get there, managerial changes that are maybe a little bit controversial, certainly very controversial for Everton. But I think with Everton you might get a little bit more consistency. Um and you might get a little bit more sort of consistency in terms of performance around the opposition penalty area than you've had. I think it's all set up quite nicely. The one thing I would say is I just can't look past the top four not being the same as last seasons. Yeah, and I think that that's it's ultimately... hard.
0: It's hard to imagine, especially with the adi- additional matches that you know for West Ham, etc. And...
1: Yeah, and, and Leicester within that as well. Yeah. I, you know, I can't see. I can see a couple of sides flirting with with being there or thereabouts, but you know, Liverpool last season they end up playing their sixth and eighth choice centre halves, and they still come third. And that to me is you know the budgetary thing that matters I think that defines the Premier League if you're getting value for money don't get me wrong is the wages and the four sides that have for the last three seasons paid out the biggest wage budgets with one exception in 1819, Manchester United they have finished in the four Champions League places 11 out of 12 and wow. I just don't quite see what changes that and, and I think there was a lot of talk obviously around the the, the Super League controversy around closed shops why ultimately the English sides felt that they had to absolutely ferry around that is a little bit beyond me they have maybe it was in terms of sort of protecting Tottenham and Arsenal but they have effectively created I think a former closed shop now it can go wrong you can lose Champions League status and Liverpool will always be vulnerable of that to an extent but I just don't see it um, this season happening to any of those four sides and what that means is you know from an Everton point of view for instance if I supported Everton I'd want them to target a League Cup Um, if, right now, the best route, I would argue, this season for Leicester to get into the Champions League is to win the Europa League. Yeah, I agree with that. And that that can sound a little bit crazy, but, you know, if you offered them right now, you get to the semi-final and the dice fall where they may, but you're only going to finish ninth, they'd want that. And also the other part of that, from a Leicester point of view, is they've never won a European trophy. So, you know, the idea of being able to flirt with that piece of history, they've won the first ever FA Cup, the league title that they won in dramatic circumstances. A really good, deep European run, I think, will be a it'll be a live thing for that team. But what that makes me think is the flip side is they may be slightly less engaged with the idea of fighting it out for a top-four place than they have been the last couple of seasons when they've finished just short, so, even
0: though they've done ever so well. So brutal for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much with you on Southampton. We, we just recorded last night about sort of the... Um, Budget players in the fantasy game, and I was I was saying the same thing about Southampton. I just they just seem to their squad just gets worse every season. And yep. you know, back in the day, they used to replenish better than everyone. They were sort of what Leicester are now, I guess. And that I, I don't know what happened. It's just gone. You know, they must have changed something at the top, so that's gone. But yeah, Burnley, interesting one as well. It's one of those seasons where the three promoted sides are the favorites all to go right back down in the betting markets, but that usually doesn't happen. Usually one
1: makes a play. I yeah. I would feel like, ultimately, I don't think when they went down, and yes, they've changed a little bit since then, but I don't feel as though Watford should have gone down. And I feel as though with the sort of the sleight of hand of the Potso family that, that the Watford squad might have a couple of little sleepers in. It might be a little bit stronger than we all think. There might be a couple of players in there. I think Ishmael Asar, <laughs> in terms of all the teams that have been promoted, Um yeah is the strongest footballer by a distance yep. out of the three of them he's, he's you know I think Emi Bwendi is a good sign and for Villa don't get me wrong but I think Ishmael Asar is is something really rather potentially remarkable as a footballer so I think if you know if Waffle can keep him build around that Ken Semmer had a good season last season and was 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 quietly impressive for them in the in the championship I think yep. if they can I think Watford have got, a, of the three, I think they've got the strongest base and can fabricate pra- fabricate an even stronger base in order to do it. I think that it wouldn't surprise me if Norwich have, have budgeted for one more bounce. And so they won't be necessarily against going back down. They'll just want to see a stronger uh, position yeah. and begin to work out what to do next. And for me, Brentford are absolute, absolute wild cards. And the thing that it might be in their interest to do is an old-style run to Christmas where they get as many points on the board as possible before they begin to get worked out and mm. then accept the second half of the season they may have to suffer to hang on for dear life you know that there's it wouldn't be unreasonable in my mind to imagine a situation where Brentford the ninth of Christmas and 17th or 18th in May I think yeah. that that's very very possible for that we've seen that in the past
0: they have one of the widest ranges of potential finishes it seems like they can be anywhere from 20th to 10th and like no no <laughs> one's really surprised I, I don't know what to make of them either so um what's your I'm just curious what's your relationship with like fantasy football fantasy premier league uh, you guys have a show uh, on the infield, yeah. rap about it, or had a show, and I yeah, we, he, had show like, we had a show. We had a show last
1: year, um, yeah. hosted by Mo, uh, yeah. which he did a really good job of, and we we, we ran a, a league with both subscribers and with contributors last year, um, and I think we'll do what. Sorry, with yeah, with, with subscribers, listeners, uh, and contributors. I think we'll definitely do one with listeners this year. Um, I was second in our okay. uh, contributors one uh, February, and it felt. You know, I, I I rode a couple of uh, clever horses through the what was still the first half of the season when we say February. You always think it was it was later than that, but because yeah, it, yeah. Was, it started later, it's a bit weird. Um, and then there was a couple of bunchings of games, in part because of the pandemic. And I I tried to play, um, and I worked so hard on it, and I mean so hard. <laughs> I tried to play like I had, you know, like that that image of the fella from. Um, from its the the Philadelphia sitcom, the meme where he's oh, got yeah, all yeah. the wires On everywhere, the, all the bits of paper, the whiteboard and, like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was me because I tried because because I, I was I pulled together this grand plan of playing a wild card and a bench boost in the same week. Oh no! So I played the <laughs> wild card. Uh, I think I was I was I was top five at the time. It might not have been literally when I was second. It was when it was just beginning to ebb away from me. And I played the wild card, and then I went to play the bench boost, and it wouldn't let me. And it was only until I like sort of went through the rules of the fine-tooth comb, and I was so angry. Oh, my God. I was angry with myself for not checking (laughs) in advance. I was angry with the stupid game that it wasn't letting me do this because it was because I'd worked, honestly, worked night and day. And so I somewhat, if I'm honest, got a strop on in general after that because it was also my last wild card. So I'd sort of hamstrung myself in the hopes of a short-term advantage. And then I was going to just sort of consolidate at the top. I was going to yeah. get top three and I was just going to like, I was going to put my yeah. tent down hunker and down. have all the people. Yeah. But Bruno Fernandes, all the hits, all the players yeah, everybody yeah. has. I yeah. was just going to then just, just exist to to hunker down and see if I could make it interesting at the end. So ultimately when I sort of fell out with it, I think I finished around sort of 10th, which was a little bit annoying. I think I would have quite liked to have got into single figures. Um, I, I find that, being really honest, the bit that sort of gets my goat a tiny little bit is how important those sorts of differentials become. That it yeah. becomes, you know, it's to me. there's there's I like. So, there's, I've, I've done sort of roto and draft based stuff in the past, and I like your players being your players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you sort of see what I mean, I, 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 no, I, mean, I prefer that.
0: I, we, we come from American sports fantasy. They're yeah. all draft based or roto based. There's no, you know, um, whatever. I'm blanking yeah. on the name of the style of game. Yeah, salary cap game. There's no, none of that.
1: Yeah, I, I find that I I I prefer that. But to have that, you've obviously got to have the sort of the. The, the right number of people within the league right. and everyone's going right. to stay interested. And that's a difficult thing because right. y- if you feel like you have a shit draft, you're, you're no longer that bothered. And then suddenly you lose the first three and you just never look at it again. And then suddenly that means that that person's almost like playing a dead rubber every single yeah. week. And everyone knows that. And so that's, that's, that's a difficult thing to sort of do within that. And also the fact of the matter is, you know, whether, whether I, whether I really enjoy it or not, the, the mass sort of fantasy league thing is unbelievably successful. Yeah. And I think that you know, the people behind it deserve deserve an awful lot of credit. And also, it's it's the sort of thing that that's good across workplaces and across remote workplaces. You know, it's it, it keeps people sort of interested and engaged. And I think that's a good thing. And also, it's got a really low bar for entry. And I don't mean right. that insultingly. I, th- I think that more things that are, you know, I'm not uh, not the I'm, I'm a long way from the world's biggest England fan. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about what the Euros was watching people who don't necessarily watch football that often get into it for the first time. I was in that's a great journey, and I always feel yeah. a bit a bit regretful really that I'm not sort of committed to international football, that I don't feel as though I can go and take part in it and share that. But one of the things that I think fantasy football does is it gives a real sort of in workplaces a real leveler. For everyone to be able to sort of get involved and, and play, and I think that that's what the sort of the the, the FPL thing really offers, yeah. and then that's a really good thing within football. I think it's really good that you know the game does belong to everyone; it doesn't just belong to you know to to nerds like myself <laughs> um, and people who really like football don't like being referred to as nerds. But there's lots of things about us that are hugely nerdish, and we've got to remember that and stay humble around it you know i think that it's important that we 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 are able to sort of share it with as many people as possible and and i think fantasy football does allow that to happen so it's it's mostly a social good
0: yeah yeah i mean anyone that listens to our podcast is clearly a fucking nerd wear fantasy (laughs) so (laughs) happily wear that badge for sure I, i named a recent episode fantasy is an excellent servant but a terrible master you know like it can get dark when you're podcasting every week and having the worst season you've ever had and have to keep well, that up with to him, blah, blah, blah.
1: last year he, he, yeah. he, he was he was bottom 10 for the first third of the season oh. and I think he was on the verge of a breakdown
0: yeah I had the worst season of my my career last season and it was just and you know just the season itself the pandemic the amount of yep. games the lack of days off it was just like relentless podcasting and fantasy and it was just like disaster so hopefully I get a, a bit of a better start this year are you gonna play this year? Yeah, I'll get, in, I'll get involved in something somewhere. Uh, yeah. because I think it is—it's—it's it, good to have
1: and good to know. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll sort something out, cool. uh, and we'll be sorting it out for our for our listeners as well. That'll definitely there'll definitely be something for them somewhere. So yeah, that is that that that, that, that is lined up, and I'll I'll just throw myself in their league. And if uh, ten thousand of them sign up, and I can just find my way into the top thousand, I'll take that before the balls yeah. kicked.
0: I'll have to sign up. I'll I'll get in there as well. <laughs> um, I think that's probably a good place to finish up. Um, I just wanted to say thanks so much for coming on. We've been... That's a pleasure. Sort of like Plotting you as a potential guest since since <laughs> we started our podcast. We've been longtime listeners. Actually saw you live in New York in twenty fourteen. You know, so Really? That yeah. was that was
1: an experience, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: It's not like a recorded podcast. It's no. fair to say. Very, it's, different. It, very different. It is very, very
1: different. Yeah, <laughs> an feel Rap Live show is not like a recorded <laughs> podcast. There's <laughs> a reason why we don't record
0: them. Yes, exactly. And uh, just wanted to give you the opportunity to just you know, where can people read your work, yeah. hear you speak, follow you on social media, all that shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, uh, on the Twitter, I'm at Knox underscore Harrington. Uh, all of the social platforms that I use, I sort of just use personally, but Twitter is for work as well, uh, work very much in inverted commas there, uh, at the Anfield Rap as well, on all of those platforms, uh, the Anfield Rap has an app if you want to get involved in that and you can get some of the uh, premium content with some tokens that are on there. And the website is theanfieldrap.com, uh, lots of writing about football as well as the audio and the video, uh, and I also think there are social stuffs, a lot of fun, so, just if people want to get involved any anyway, that they like. And there's a bit of an argument, you know, in terms of the fantasy stuff. Uh We review uh and preview every set of Premier League games. You mentioned the Friday show before yep. there. We'll be doing that right the way through this season. It's a pleasure to do, but what we actually get on is three, sometimes four, or even five people we support other teams and if you listen very very closely uh you will find me occasionally pump them for info with reference to roto fantasy <laughs> yeah. that you can apply for uh for fan- for fpl where every now and again i'll say something like so after like to Corey feels like he's about to have a really good season and someone might go oh, yeah yeah he just he's about to just bloom into life uh
0: that's the sort of thing that you'll hear if you listen between the lines love it thanks so much thank you